Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountain are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, There are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So if you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me to Psalm 95. Uh, my name is Imran, one of the pastors here, also known as Cliff, this past week. Okay? Yes. <laughs> Psalm 95. Zabur, Pachanwe, Bhajan, Pachanwe, Psalm 95. Uh, let me pray and then we'll dive into our passage this morning. Father, we're grateful for your grace. Thank you that we could come and just see what you're doing in and through your church. We praise you for all the things that have taken place over the last um, several weeks. And all glory and honor goes to you. So we ask that as we now learn and worship you through the preaching of your word, would you prepare our hearts, encourage us, equip us, and challenge us for our good and your glory, we pray. Amen. Psalm 95, it was read earlier this morning, early at the beginning of the service. Invitation to come is we all long for, especially when it's free. Just think about that, that if after the service someone invited you, hey, would you like to go for lunch? I will pay for that. You would all say yes without thinking. You will cancel everything because it's paid for, right? Why? Because we're all created to belong and created to love. And when someone invites you, you feel worthy. You feel special. Because that, that's who we are. But you ever wondered, the one who invites you, it costs them. Their time, their money, and everything else. And I think when, when we look at this psalm, that's exactly what we, we find, that there's an invitation to come, but there's also caution. So the theme of the sermon is called to worship. There are two points. First, who do we worship? And second, how do we worship him? Who do we worship and how do we worship based on these verses here? Verses 1 to 7, we'll look at who do we worship. Three times we see the word come. 
Verse 1 says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. And then verse 2, it says, let us come before him with thanksgiving. And again in verse 6, there's an invitation, come, let us bow down in worship. The word come in English, is, it got a bit of weak meaning in it because it's coming or going. But, but in the original language, it, it means come to, to a meeting, to this gathering. In other words, gather to enter into the presence of the living God to worship Him. So if someone invited you this morning, come to church, I wonder if they've given you caution as well. Because when you come to church, God speaks. And that's what we're going to, to see in, in the psalm. So there's this caution. The unfortunate thing is that often in our worship services, well, we, we, we got this idea, perhaps in, in some churches, that we, we dim the lights, we, we create the atmosphere, and, and we, we make it so cool, and like, dude, this, let's make it Gucci, right? It's dope. Like, no, it's not about us. So, so oftentimes, the worship becomes about, 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 about us, or, or the worship leader, or, or, or the team. But when you read the psalm, it's not about us, or the leader or the team, it's about God who invites us to come into His presence. Now notice, I want you to notice here, the word us is used six times in these verses. Six times. Why? Because it's indicating that it's not to one particular group of people. It's a communal thing. It's, it's for a people group from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. They can all come together and worship. That's why we, we have missionaries go all over the world. They, they're calling people to come and worship. That's why they're preaching. If they don't wait for them, they go to them. They pack up and sell everything and they go overseas. That's why we have the combined services here. To reflect us, to remind us. That we are all one people and we are all, regardless of your skin color, your ethnic background, we are all belong to God. We are created by Him and therefore we can come together and worship Him. So look around and just you see, many of you got your relatives next to you. But just scan the room. It's, it's a beautiful thing that we got people from the German service, the Punjabi service and everyone else. That, that's what it's all about. So he's like, come, let us worship. So what is worship? Worship comes from this old English word, worship. Meaning that, that, that originally it was designed to pay homage to this great God. And I think as you look into this, according to the, according to the dictionary of theological terms, worship is the act of adoring and praising God. That is ascribing worth to God as the one who deserves homage and service. The church, which is to be worshiping community, expresses its worship corporately and publicly through prayer, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, through the reading and exp exposition of scripture, through observance of the sacraments, and through individual and corporate living in holiness and in service. In other words, worship is both an attitude and act. It's both an attitude and act. 
And we see that what we were taught by, by the author of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good, to share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. And of course, the term sacrifice is an Old Testament term. When people of God brought their best of the best to offer their sacrifices to God because he's worthy. In Romans 12, we see Romans 12.1, we read, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, worship is both listening, worship is both speaking, and worship is also sharing and engaging and when, when, when you see this here, he says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. As I was driving, I asked my daughter the other day, because I was trying to get, like, what's her understanding of worship? I asked her, what's worship? She's seven. She said, well, worship is praising Jesus and singing to him. That's pretty good for seven years old. But worship is more than that. He says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. The Lord is in all caps, meaning Yahweh, the I am that we read in, in the book of Exodus. He's this great God, self-existing. And then he says, for the Lord is great God. He's the rock of our salvation. That there's this metaphor that's being used, God as rock. Often the Bible uses imagery. That, that, that helps us to remember this rock is unshakable, immovable. And this rock has been a protection for the people of Israelites during their many battles. And that's why they're using he's the rock of our salvation because he saved them. This rock is trustworthy. So therefore, this rock reminds us of God's reliability and protection. Verse 3 to 5, we, we read this here. It says, for the Lord is great God. This 4 gives us reason who we worship and why. It says, he's great God. He's great king above all kings and gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountains. He made the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's our maker. Who do we worship? We worship this God who made us. He's our maker. Several years ago, I watched this Bollywood movie. Many of you are probably not familiar. You should watch it. It's called PK. The title of the movie is PK. And it's about this guy who's searching for God. And one of the, the scenes there, that as this guy is searching, he's going to many places of worship there. And he's asking, I'm looking for God. But he cannot find it. So then he goes outside the Hindu mandir, the Hindu temple there. And this guy, he's selling these statues called God. So he's like, I am looking for God. He's like, right here. Okay, which one would you like to buy? And the guy asks, well, how much is the small one? Well, small one is $20. What about the big one? It's $40. 
And then this guy turns, who's searching for God, he asks, okay, did you make this God? He's like, yeah. And then he asks, let me ask you this. Did you make this God or did God make you? You drop the mic right there. Because often, I think, we are drifting away from our worship or from the doctrine of God and the doctrine of creation or the, and there's decline in our worship is because we, are, we were forgetting our maker. We, we confessed in the, in the Apostles' Creed and we declared that I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and the earth. And there, there's this importance is on the doctrine of God, the creator God who made us. So if we know that this God made us, it will be reflected in how we worship. Verse 7, not only he's our maker, he's our God. He's a personal God. The phrase, he's our God, is often associated with a strong declaration and loyalty to this Yahweh God, who's over and above all other gods with small g. He's a personal God. One of my interns several years ago, she came from a Sikh background, and, and, and she said when she became Christian, she was at university, and she said that she tried everything to please this, this God of the Sikh faith. And she said, always, this, this God felt like he's way out there, he's a distant God. But she said when, one day when she was at university, she was, uh, someone from the university shared the gospel with her. And that, right there, she said that she understood that this God is not a distant God. This God is a personal God. This God is not asking me to do things for him. Rather, he came for me and he did this thing for me that he died for me. So she calls her testimony from distant God to a personal God. So the question is, when you know that this God has made us, shaped us, who do you worship? Material things, cars, or anything else? Verse 7 again, it says, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Not only he's our God, he's our shepherd, we are his sheep. He's protecting us, he's leading us, and he's guiding us. And John, in his gospel, John 10, he tells us that, that this is a great and good shepherd who laid down his life for us, willingly. No one asked him to do that because he's a good shepherd. So can I challenge you this morning that coming to church should not be a ritual? It should be that we are coming to church to worship this great God, our maker, who made the heaven and the earth. He's this great king above all kings. That's who you worship. So we worship this great king and great God. Second, how do we worship him? Verses 1 to 11 again, it teaches us. It says, we sing as we just did. We shout with thanksgiving, extol, with music and song. And verse 6, we, we bow down and kneel. And when it says sing for joy, shout. 
And it says in the ESV, it says, make a joyful noise. It says there twice, make a joyful noise. Worship this king requires shouting and making a joyful noise. I used to listen to this song with my daughter. I got this joy, 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 joy. Where? Where? Today. Right? This joy for us as Christians is not temporary deep down there that it cannot be reflected. This joy burst from us, from within us. He's like, this joy is deep. It's everlasting. It's not the happiness that someday you feel happy and then it's gone and then you're sad. No, this joy is everlasting because he is a great God and we worship this great God. Therefore, we have this deep joy that needs to be reflected. It's not superficial joy. See, in our culture, in our brown culture, I can say brown, you can't, okay? In our brown culture... (laughs) See what I did there? In a brown culture, we know how to party. You should know that. Those of you neighbor with, the, with one of my peoples, you'd be like, man, these guys are loud. Because yes, we are. Often when I'm talking to my family back home, my wife is like, why are you yelling? I'm like, no, are you okay? What, are you guys fighting? Like, no, 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 we're just talking. It's just an excitement. That's how we talk. Right? But we know how to party. Our festivities are loud full of music, this clapping and dancing, and all of that stuff is involved. Let me give you one example. You will be surprised with that. On Easter Sunday morning, 4.30 in the morning when the sun rises, we have people from the whole church come out with their drums out in the streets singing, Christ has risen, 4.30 in the morning. Happens every year. Okay? There's this joy, there's this shouting, there's this proclamation. Why? Because we worship this great king, great God who rose for us. And even on, on, on Palm Sunday, in the afternoon, people with the palm branches out in the streets, there's hundreds of people there. They're singing Hosanna. But what does it tell us? It tells us that we sing and we shout. Some of you probably be thinking like, man, I'm not used to lifting my hands. Are you asking us to shout? (laughs) Right? It's uncomfortable. What would the people next to me say? Or might poke his or her eye if I just go this. Right? It shouldn't be. We kneel and we bow before and worship him. One of the commentators writes, he's like, bowing and kneeling are traditional ways of expressing our reverence and humility before rulers. And what greater ruler is there than the creator God who has chosen us to make a covenant with us and live among us? See, it's a communal again. It's not about me. It's about us. No wonder we are to praise and worship him with our whole body. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Meaning, everything within me should proclaim His praise. Sing to Him. 
So when I was reading and preparing this psalm, honestly, that this, this joy rises within you like this is a good psalm for us to, 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 to read and sing and go through. But worship doesn't only involve us singing or speaking or praising God. Worship also involves us God speaking to us. And we listen and we obey. My dad was telling me that he, he invited uh, some of his friends the other day. He's like, hey, would you like to come to church? And, and this, this guy said, well, we would love to come. We've never been to a church, but, but we are not Christians. Are we allowed to come? Of course you are allowed to come. But can I caution you that when you come, God will speak to you and you will listen and you will have to obey. Right? That's what it says. Listen to verse 7 again. It says, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in Meribah, as you did the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me. Though they had seen what I did, for 40 years I was angry with this generation. I said... There are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. So God speaks and we listen. We, as people, are used to watching movies with happy endings. It starts and there's happy ending. This psalm is not one of those psalms. It ends with a warning. There's a caution. Watch out. If you hear, don't harden your hearts. Today, not tomorrow, today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Three times this verse is quoted in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 15 says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah and Massa in the wilderness. What does he mean by hardening of his hearts? Heart is the central part of man, from which flows emotions and thoughts and speech and action. He said, Don't harden it. And second, hardening of heart, it means persistently being rigid, stubborn. I don't want to hear. I don't want to do this. I don't want to come. Who cares? They fail to understand the beauty of the gospel. They fail to understand this great invitation to come and worship who? Great God who's king above all kings. The focus here is on, on the mistakes of the present community's forefathers who failed in their worship. So the psalmist is encouraging this present generation and every generation, including us, that today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't be like your forefathers who grumbled and complained. We, we say to our kids often, when they're not listening, hey, don't be like your older brother or sister. 
right? You will miss out on the fun part. So don't be like them, he says. In other words, what, what he, he's saying here, that there's, according to other the Hebrews, unbelief is the warning. That if you don't believe, you will not enter this rest. We, we see that the people tested God, and yet they turned away from him. But let me ask you this theological question. Can a worshiper of God walk away from faith? Can a worshiper of God walk away from the answer is yes. Last week, I heard from a friend of mine who's, who's going to Regent College that this guy who's finishing his uh, master's of divinity, he, he basically, he's like, I'm not Christian anymore. Here's this guy graduating with a master's of divinity at, at the school. I'm not Christian anymore. Joshua Harris, known for his book, I Kiss, Kiss Dating Goodbye, a pastor, walked away from faith. So can a, can, can a worshiper or Christian walk away from faith? Well, the question, another question you should ask, how do you know that someone is a genuine Christian? How do you know that someone is a genuine Christian? The answer is the one who perseveres till the end. Let me help you understand this. One of my favorite movies by all time is, so the other day, last, last week or two weeks ago, we're driving to Squamish to visit Edgar and the trek camp there, and we're talking about the six of us in the car, like, what's our favorite movie? And I said, my favorite movie is Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. Why? There's a scene in that movie there. See, when the Jamaican bombsled team is about to go for their final run, what happens there? The coach says, at the beginning, I will see you guys at the end. Just imagine that with me. Coach says, I'll see you at the end. The guys get in their bobsled. Off they go. They're doing really well. Everyone's surprised. Man, this bob Jamaican bobsled team is doing really, really well. They have a chance of winning something here. And they're close to the finish line. What happens? Bobsled breaks. Everyone thought that they're dead. They died. People are, everything is quiet. They're astonished to see all that. But what happens next? All of those guys come out, pick up their bobsled on the shoulder, and they cross the finish line. What happens there? Because they remember the coach said, I will see you boys at the finish line. In your Christian life, who's waiting on the other end? Jesus. Jesus waiting on the other end. I'll see you guys on the other end. He's our prize. And then you see in, 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 in the movie the people around them, those who laughed at them, they're cheering them on. Well done. Everyone start to clap. That image is again found in Hebrews chapter 11. The great cloud of witnesses, the people in our lives who've gone before us. So, so, so as a warning, 
that we have here, there's also encouragement that as Christians, we should have people in our lives who are encouraging us and cheering us on, no matter what is going on in our lives. Hey, come on. You can do it. Because as Christians, we will fail and we will fall. We all do that. But do we have people in our lives who are encouraging us to come along? Hey, let's go. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Because Jesus is waiting on the other end. We do learn from this warning that keep persevering in your faith. The question that I might ask you now, that in your worship to Jesus, are you coming to worship Jesus to show your love and appreciation of your family or someone else, or are you actually coming wholeheartedly for you because you and I need God. You and I are made by him. He owns us. He's sovereign over us. Whether you like it or not, we exist because of him. We have our being because of him. So we owe it to him. Therefore, we worship by listening. And second, we worship by obeying now notice here, here this change in tone. I'll start with verse 8 again. It says, Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. There's prophetic rebuke happening. All of a sudden, God is speaking. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are people whose hearts go astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declare on an oath in my anger. They shall never enter. Whose rest? My rest. God speaks to us through his word and we obey. The Israelites started to quarrel. Because they didn't have water. So they complain and grumble to Moses. Why have you brought us here? To die? They tested God there. Not once, not, but twice. And God provided water for them. First time. They forgot again. And they quarreled and grumbled again. And we read that in Numbers, that God, when he speaks, says, these guys have seen, I'm paraphrasing, that they have seen my glory, but they will not enter my rest. Have you seen God's glory in your life? Have you experienced him in your life? Therefore, he's warning, like, don't be like them. Their journey became 40 years long, and the Lord speaks to them, Numbers 14, 20 to 23. I'll read this again. It says, the Lord replied, I've forgiven them, as you, Moses, asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, now one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, now one of them will be able to see the land I promised on oath to their ancestor. It's a strong warning. Those who hardened their hearts never made the rest. 
which is the promised land. Who takes them to the promised land? Joshua. Old Testament Joshua. Who's our Joshua now? The New Testament Joshua. Jesus. He will take us to this rest. Jesus is our rest who calls us to come. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. Jesus is our rest. We can look forward to the future Sabbath rest when we're with Jesus. When God rested on the seventh day of creation. But if we want to enjoy the rest, we need to persevere in our faith. So we worship God by listening to him and by obeying him. Hebrews 4, 11 says this, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. See, when I said in the beginning, the one who invites you, it costs them their time and their money. The one who's inviting us this morning to come costed him, his son, Jesus Christ. That through him, we can come to him and be at the table. It is through Jesus, in faith, in him, we can come and worship him. So as you're listening this morning, would you like to come and worship him? I don't know where you're all at, but there's a warning as well. Call to worship with a caution. As you worship, watch out. Don't walk away from the faith. He invites us to worship him because he's worthy of our praise. So as we, as we end and we sing one final song, let's declare our allegiance, our love for this great God as we sing and proclaim who he is and what he is to us. Let's worship him. I often say to some of my friends when, when we worship, you know, we worship and we're like, this is our expression. It seems like we're worshiping a dead God. No, we are not. We worship this living God. It's a great God who calls us to come and worship him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. We ask that as we heard you speak to us, that we as a body of Christ, this family, we would come and worship you, knowing that you are worthy of our praises. Would you help us to persevere in our faith? Would you help us to know that, that nothing else matters, only you? So we worship you. Find us faithful as we continue to sing and hear you speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.